Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you would join me in prayer this morning, let's pray. God, we come, we come acknowledging your greatness. You are great over all the heavens and the earth, all over all of creation. You are our great and mighty God. And we do praise you. We lift high your name because you, O oh God, are the high and lifted up one. And we love you. And we are grateful, Jesus, that because of you, through your sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, we can know the great God personally, intimately. We can be known by him as his children, as his friends. And so we come, God, in this moment, recognizing that you are present with us, celebrating your greatness, God. And we come acknowledging your greatness, Lord, because so many of us are in need of that. We are in need of our great and mighty God, a touch from you, Lord. Some of us showed up here today with hearts that are heavy, pressed down by the cares of this world, concerns, some very serious, for relationships that are damaged or struggling. God, we need your greatness, your power, your might to come in and bring relational healing some struggling with vocation and work need a touch from you, a, a new path forward, God. So we come to you, our great God, seeking that help. Others here, God, need a touch on their bodies. God, you are the great physician, our great and mighty God who heals. And so we come seeking a touch from you. And God, because you are Lord of miracle and medicine, we don't care how you provide it, God. We, we come to you seeking healing. Father, we are grateful that we come this morning also to receive from you your word. As you open it to our hearts and minds through your Spirit's presence, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here in this place. And we ask you even now, as we choose in these moments to crucify our own flesh so that we could be filled with you. So Holy Spirit, come, fill us. Fill us with life that we need from you. And Lord, I, I come praying in these moments also for our brothers, Pastor Dave and Pastor Dean, who will be leaving tomorrow, heading for Cuba to be with and encourage and bless our brothers and sisters there, Pastor Oriel and his wife, Alina. And so I pray that as they go, God, your hand of protection would be on them, but also, God, that you would use them in a great and mighty way to encourage those who have been struggling under such great oppression. I pray that the gifts that they're taking will be received, God, in joy and will be useful for your kingdom work as they use those medications uh, to bless others back in their community. And so I pray for Pastor 
Oriel and Alina as they will travel later today and tomorrow across their country to be with uh, Dean and, and Dave. I pray that that time would be healing and encouraging and celebrating your goodness and your greatness, oh God. And now, Father, I pray for, for Pastor Dean as he comes to open your word to our hearts and minds. I, I pray, Father, as I know he has, that you would hide him behind the cross of Jesus, that Jesus would be the one high and lifted up and seen. God, I pray that as I know Dean has meditated on your word, I pray that his words would now be, God, useful in your sight. We know that if anything good and eternal and lasting takes place, it will be because you have spoken, Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would do that through our brother now. Speak to us. Draw us to yourself. It's in your great and mighty name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, Jerome, what are you doing here? Uh, not much. Just having my coffee time. All right. Well, you mind if I join you? Sure. Have a seat. Oh, wow. You know, I love this coffee shop. There's nothing like, quite like a cup of Hustle Duck coffee, and I just love the atmosphere in here. Really? I mean, I guess I haven't paid much attention. I mean, I guess I've been in some places not as bad as this. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so what do you think our chances are with the Billings account? Slim to none. Really? Absolutely. We don't stand a chance. But I thought they said they liked the features our software provided and they requested a quote. Oh, you know that's just standard procedure. That doesn't mean anything. You know, we'll give them our best quote and they won't even give us the time of day. But didn't they say that their sister company already uses our software and they really liked it? Ah, uh, something like that. But you know that doesn't mean anything. Companies are always changing software vendors. Wow. Huh. You know, honestly, I got a whole different vibe. You know, it felt to me like we were at the top of their list. Ah, uh, top of the list, bottom of the list. Doesn't mean anything. Because the idiots that's making a decision for the company, they're just going to choose a company based on a logo design. A logo design? Is it really? Is it that arbitrary? Absolutely. Listen, I'm sorry. I just can't check my brain at the door. I'm a realist. Okay. Wow, I, you know, I would think that we would, we would stand a little bit of a better chance with that, with that company. You know, and, and I really, I, I think that the administrator was knowledgeable and she liked our product. She was impressed with our customer service. And I don't know, I just have faith that we'll land that, we'll land that company. Oh, we know you all have faith. Excuse me? No offense. You've been with the company, what, six months, right? Actually, it's coming up on two years. Whatever. Listen, some of us have been here since the beginning, you know, through the lean years, and we didn't even know we were going to have a job next week. Well, I, I still have faith. I know that y'all poke fun about my Jesus thing. Oh, the fish thing in the cubicle? Yeah, yeah. So uh, are you saying that, that my belief that we can land the Billings account is because I'm a Christian? Well, yeah, that's what your people do believe, right? Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, yes. 
And because you believe in Jesus, that means that you'll go to heaven, right? Yes. Well, well, answer me this. You say God is love, right? Yes. Well, if God is love, then why would God send people to hell? Actually, God's word, the Bible, answers that question. Are you familiar with John 3.16? Yeah. You can't watch a ball game without somebody holding up a John 3.16 sign. Right. Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, I know. God loves me. I've heard it all before, Clint. Right. Well, it does say God loves you, but it, John 3.16 also says that believing and accepting Christ is the way to heaven and eternal life. But I really wish they would include John 3.17 on those signs. That verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Hmm. I've never heard that part. You know, the next verse thing. I'm sorry if that's the first time you're hearing it, but it's true. And if a church or a Christian has ever made you feel condemned, I, I apologize. Please know, Jerome, God does love you. And he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God simply gives us a choice. And his desire is that we choose eternal life and heaven through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Man. I never heard anyone explain that to me. Wow, you almost made me a believer. You're good. I see that's why you're in sales. Jerome. Well, I guess I need to find a better coffee shop. Jerome. I'm just kidding. Listen, Clint, I'll tell you this. You use that belief to pray for the Billings account, and who knows, maybe we'll get lucky. Hey, I'll see you around the office. See you, Jerome. Do you know any Jeromes? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor, someone in your family, and they're, they're so close, but they just can't quite th get there. They still have that doubt, that unbelief that holds them back. I think the saddest line in that drama is when Jerome says, you almost make me a believer. I think we've all had doubts. We've all struggled at times with unbelief. Have you ever thought, if God really loves me, then, then why am I facing this circumstance? It's so unfair. Is God really good? Well, I'm Dean Enfinger, and this morning we'll continue in our series, Encounters with the Risen Lord. And we'll be specifically looking at doubt and unbelief. And the Bible addresses this. It's, it's throughout the Bible that you can find this. Um, so we're going to start off in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Uh, there, there are Bibles in front of the chairs in front of you, or you can use your iPhone, or if you're weird and have an Android, you can do that too, tablets. Um, by the way, how many people here use the YouVersion Bible app? Use it? 
I see a lot of you. I, I love that app. I'm on a Bible plan, and I do that in a soap group with a group of other men, and we talk about the scriptures. And a while back, I discovered an area on there called Guided Prayer. And it just kind of guides you through a prayer. And so many times in my prayer time, I just start out with a list of, of what I want the Lord to do or what's going on in my life. And it usually starts out in the guided prayer. It says, just take a moment and just breathe deep. Take a couple of deep breaths because the creator of the universe wants to spend some time with you. So I just ask that you do that this morning. Just take a couple of deep breaths and and really just pray and just say, Lord, what do you want me to hear this morning? What, what is the message that you, you want to put on my heart? And, and I believe the Lord will answer that for you. And it, it may be in something I say, or it may be in a verse that the praise team sings. It could be in a conversation that you have in the hallway. But I believe the Lord wants, to, wants you to hear his heart this morning. So anyway, let's take a look at, we're going to look in John chapter 20. And, and this is an encounter with a disciple, a disciple who spent uh, at least three years with Jesus, watching him do miracle after miracle, building his faith, and yet he still had some doubts. So we'll start here in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to be talking a little about doubting Thomas. And poor Thomas, he's gone down through the centuries with the nickname Doubting Thomas. Now, I believe the Lord has used this. I believe the Lord has used this in that we don't want to be a Doubting Thomas. We want to believe. We want to have that faith. But I think Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap because there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of confusion going on at that particular time of Jesus' resurrection and his crucifixion. You know, we know from earlier encounters with the risen Lord that the women had gone to the tomb and it was empty and they encountered angels who said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And these same women went to the disciples and told them what they had seen and what they'd heard. And yet there wasn't belief with the disciples. And then Peter and John hearing this, they go to the tomb, step in, see that it's empty, and they still can't make heads or tails of it. Now, they did believe when Jesus appeared to them. And the passage makes a point of saying that Thomas was a twin. Now, this is Dean's thinking. You won't find this anywhere else. But if Thomas was an identical twin, he probably grew up being mistaken for his brother. 
So maybe somewhere in his mind, when they said they'd seen the Lord, he was thinking, did they really see the Lord? Did they see somebody that looked like him or that they thought was Jesus? I don't know. The scriptures don't, don't tell us that. So again, that's, that's Dean's theology or, or wonderings, if, if you would say. But I think the biggest reason that I think Thomas gets a bad rap is told to us a little bit earlier in John chapter 14. Read with me in John chapter 14, starting in verse 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we... We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So I want you to picture this scene. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's really trying to prepare them for what's coming up, the crucifixion and resurrection. And he says, you know, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back. But hey, guys, listen up. You know the way. Now, 11 of those disciples sat there in that moment and said, okay, okay we, we know the way. We, we know the way? Now, is he talking about Nazareth? Because I know he's from Nazareth. Does he mean that that's the way? Or is it Jerusalem? We, we know the way to Jerusalem? Oh no, what if, what if it's something totally different? What if it's over the Sea of Galilee somewhere? The only one who speaks up is Thomas. And Thomas says, Lord, you, I don't know where you're going. How, how do I know? I don't know the way. I want to know the way. Would you tell me the way? It's like that times, those times when you were in school, and you were in the classroom, and the teacher had totally lost the class. Nobody knew what they were talking about. And finally, the teacher turns around and says, does anyone have any questions? And no one raises their hand. And finally, one brave kid who's honest raises their hand and says, teacher, you lost me about 10 minutes ago. That's Thomas. Maybe we should call him truthful Thomas. Maybe when he was talking to the disciples, he was saying, guys, I, I know 10 of you were there. And for some reason, Thomas wasn't there. Maybe it was his day to go get coffee and donuts. We don't know. But he wasn't in the room. And they're telling him they've seen the Lord. And he's like, you know, I really, I want to believe you. But you know, I, I got a little bit of doubt here. I got, I got a little bit of unbelief. I, I'm not 100% on this. You know, I hate to say this, but I, I need proof. Then what happens? Eight days later, Jesus steps into the room. And we know he knew what Thomas had said because he called him out. And he says, Thomas, come here. Come here, stand before me. I want you to put your finger where the nail went through my hand. I want you to reach out your hand and touch my side. And I love Thomas's response. My Lord and my God. Have you had those moments in your life where the only thing that you could say was, 
my Lord and my God. Because you know Jesus had stepped into the room. And I think so many times, just like with Thomas, Jesus is saying to us, don't disbelieve. Believe. Don't disbelieve. Believe. And it it brings me to our, our first point, and that is that encounters with the risen Lord overcome doubt and unbelief. Encounters with our risen Lord overcome doubt and unbelief. In our Bible, God's Word, it doesn't shy away from the subject of doubt and belief. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. I've picked a couple from the Old Testament just to talk about, but, but it's all through the Scriptures. You'll see doubt and unbelief and the Lord stepping into the moment. But let's talk about Moses. So Moses, this great man of God, um, we, we saw where the, Moses went and the plagues are on Egypt and then the Red Seas parted and waters come out of a rock and there's manna coming down. There were so many incredible things through Moses being that instrument of God. But let's take a look back at the call of Moses. Now Moses is on the backside of the desert and he's been there for 40 years. You know, he killed a guy in Egypt, so he escaped, you know, to the desert. And he's in 40 years and he's watching his father-in-law's sheep, which I find interesting. You know, he's been in the desert 40 years. Wouldn't he have his own sheep? He's still watching his father-in-law's sheep. But anyway... The Lord appears to him at the burning bush. And let's see how this conversation goes. The Lord, in fact, the Lord comes and says, you're going to go and rescue my people from Egypt. You're the one that's going to bring them out. But this is Moses in verse 11 of Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel, Israel out of Egypt? Have you ever felt like I'm on a shelf somewhere? I'm really not the one to be doing this. You know, he was older at this time. Who am I to do that? God's response is, I'll be with you. I'll be with you and you'll come back on this mountain and you'll worship me again after you've brought him out. You know, I think when God said, I will be with you, there shouldn't have been another excuse for Moses. But what do we find? Down in verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, God comes through and says, I am who I am. I am God. I am the only God. You go and tell them I am sent you. Another excuse Chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Again, the Lord says, All right, Moses, what's that in your hand? And we know this. It's a staff. He says, All right, lay it down. The Lord turns it into a snake. And he said, Lord, then he said, Moses, reach down and, and grab the snake by the tail, which I wouldn't recommend anybody doing that. But if the Lord tells you to, it's okay. And it turns back into a staff. And then he says, take your hand and put it in your cloak and pull it out. And it's leprous. Put it back into your cloak and pull it out. And now it's perfectly clean. And the Lord says, if they won't, if they won't believe you after the first sign, show them the second sign. But Moses isn't done. Then in verse 10 of chapter 4, but Moses said to the Lord, 
Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Again, the Lord steps into this situation, says, your brother Aaron can speak good. You're going to use your brother Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece. You speak it to Aaron, and Aaron will speak for you. And we know that Moses went on and did incredible things. But what a patient God we serve, that he can overcome all those excuses, all those doubt and excuses, which brings me to my second point, encounters with a risen Lord overcome doubt and excuses. Have you ever been like Moses? Have you ever made excuses? You kind of feel God calling you into something and, and you want to make excuses. You want to say, who am I? I mean, as far as me standing up here giving a message, I've had that. Lord, who am I to do that? But you, you can miss out. Look at all the incredible miracles and wonderful things that the Lord did through Moses. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on what the Lord's calling you into. We're going to look at another Old Testament character. We're going to look at Gideon. So we're going to, we're going to start off in chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. Read with me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So we have Gideon, and we all know Gideon is a world-class doubter. And at this time, the Midianites had really been oppressing Israel for years. They would come in, they said it was like locust on the land, and they would take their livestock and take their crops. And when this angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, he, he was in the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat. He was scared to death that even this little wheat was going to be taken from him by the Midianites. So we see fear and doubt. And who am I? I am the youngest in my family, and my family is the weakest. How could this be that I would be the one who would rescue Israel from the Midianites? Just like Thomas... Gideon needs proof. And so his first proof was with this angel of the Lord. He said, let me go and get a sacrifice. Let me, let me put together a sacrifice. Don't go anywhere. And it takes a while because he said he prepared a goat and broth and all this other stuff. And the angel's still there. He comes back. He, and the angel said, put it on a rock. And then the angel touches it with the tip of his staff and it bursts into flames. Flames come up from the rock. So he believes at that point, okay, Okay, I, I have been with the angel of the Lord. And yet he still wants to make sure that God is calling him to go and do this mighty deed. So we all know about the fleece. He takes the fleece. He says, all right, if you really want me to do this, Lord, here's this fleece. Make the fleece dry 
and all the ground wet. And the Lord does it. Then he says, make the fleece wet and all the ground dry. And he does it. He, he, can, he can wring it out into a bowl of water. So now he knows that the Lord has called him to it. And there are other things in there, but he calls together all the Israelites. And there's thousands of Israelites that answer the call. But then the Lord whittles that down to just 300. Because if it's all these people, you're going to think you did it in your strength, in your might. But I just want to, I want to overtake the Midianites with only 300. So now we have a little bit of fear and doubt creeping back into Gideon. And the Lord says, if you're afraid, go on down to the camp. I want you to listen in. So Gideon takes his servant and he goes down to the camp and he's listening in. And he hears this man talk about his dream. And it was a weird dream about a loaf of bread coming in and flattening out a tent, rolling in and flattening out a tent. But the man with him interpreted the dream and he said, surely this is the sword of Gideon. This means that Gideon and the Israelites are going to overtake us, that the Lord has given us into the hand of Israel. When he hears that, he's encouraged, he goes back. That's when they smash the clay jars, they have the torches, they shout, and the Mennonites in their confusion kill each other. And the victory is the Lord's beyond a shadow of a doubt. All of those thousands reduced to 300. So encounters where they're withering God overcome doubt and fear. Have you ever been paralyzed by fear? You don't, you don't feel like you can go forward? Encounters with God overcome that. Overcome doubt and fear. Trust God. If he's called you to something, he will equip you and he will go before you and the victory is God's. Now, what about the doubt and unbelief that Jesus encountered? We know time and time again with his own disciples, he encountered doubt and unbelief. When they're in the boat and the storm came up and they thought they were going to die and Jesus quiets it. When Peter started sinking, the Lord said, why did you doubt? But I want to look at a specific passage in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This father had been caring for this son, and it says from childhood, so he's a little bit older. But he'd had this terrible affliction of this demon trying to take his son out, throw him into fire, throw him into water to drown him. And he hears of these miracles of Jesus. And I'm sure he exhausted everything he knew to do in his own town with priests or healing or whatever or prayers. So now he hears of this, of this great teacher of Jesus who heals, and some people are thinking he's the Messiah. And so he can do it. 
He can save my son. And then he goes there. And at first the disciples tried to heal the boy, tried to drive out the demon. And they couldn't do it. They tried, but they couldn't do it. So do you see his, his doubt and his unbelief creeping in? And he's saying, you know what? I, I've heard all these stories of miracles, and now here are the disciples, they can't do it. It's, maybe it's impossible. Maybe even Jesus can't drive out the demon from my son. But we see that Jesus does come in, and he drives out the demon. But I like that father's response is, help me in my unbelief. But encounters with our risen Lord prove that nothing is impossible for God. Encounters, encounters with the risen Lord prove that nothing is impossible for God. I want to tell you a, a personal experience. I call this my toilet testimony. Not a lot of people have a toilet testimony, but I do have a toilet testimony. And do we have our picture of, of our um, toilet? I think it's coming up. There it is. It's a happy toilet. But for a long, long time in my family business, we had a very sad toilet. We were on a septic tank system, and it did not work. I mean, well over half of the time, we did not have a functioning toilet. And my parents had started the business in 1965, and this was in the late 80s when we were working in the business, and it was just an ongoing problem. And one day I stood up, and I said, family, I'm going to take care of this toilet situation because, you know, I'm in the chamber and I'm on these economic development committees and I know people. You have pride in that? And so for two months, I set up these meetings. I talked to the city officials in the city of Goose Creek. They pointed me to Berkeley County, set up a time with a Berkeley County administrator, and everybody is trying to get everybody working on this problem. So basically at the end of about two months of my working and trying to get a solution, trying to get water and sanitation to our store, I get a call from the head guy of Berkeley County over water and sanitation. And he says, Dean, I really need to explain the situation that you're in. I said, okay. So he says, where your store is located, immediately to the left, is the river, is Goose Creek. So we can't come from that side, from that other side to your store. Directly in front of your store is Rivers Avenue or Highway 52, and there's a culvert underneath that that lets the water flow down into the river, into Goose Creek. Directly behind your store are the railroad tracks, and we can't go underneath railroad tracks. And your store is at the bottom of a hill. So here's the only way we can help you, is there would have to be land bought and a pump station built, and that's northward of a half a million dollars. And the county's not going to do that for just one or two businesses. But here's what you can do. You can spend that money, buy that land, build that pump station, and give it to Berkeley County. Well, we didn't have northward of a half a million dollars, to say the least. Nowhere near that amount. I mean, that's a pretty expensive bathroom. So I'd fallen flat on my face. My family knew it. I knew it. 
It was hopeless. It was impossible. During this time, I had started a while back in the study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Uh, how many have done that study? If you've done it, it's wonderful. It changed my life. So at this time, I'd been through it several times, and I was actually teaching Experiencing God. And through this process, I'm teaching Experiencing God, and I'm looking at all these encounters with our risen Lord and all these miracles, and I kind of started complaining a little bit. I said, Lord, you know, it's not fair, this toilet situation, this impossible situation that we have. And it was like the Lord impressed on me and said, Dean, why didn't, you, why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you ask me? Well, you have to be honest when it's the Lord talking to you. And I was like, well, I really thought I could do it. I thought I could do it in my own strength. And okay, there was, there was a little bit of pride. All right, there was a lot of pride in it. But I fell flat on my face, but it's an impossible situation. And the Lord stayed in that, and he said, well, why don't you ask me? Okay, all right, Lord, can you, can you fix this toilet situation? And I got this resounding yes. So then I thought I needed to explain it to the Lord. I said, Lord, you understand that we don't have northward of a half a million dollars, because I know, but you're still going to fix our toilet situation. Yes. So I said, okay, we'll see, you know. I'm at work the next week, and the Lord impresses on me, says, I want you to fix it up. I want you to go and clean it. Now, when you have a toilet that is only functioning 10% of the time, that is not a good bathroom to go into. <laughs> and it is not a fun toilet to clean. I will tell you that. And I'm like, Lord, clean it. All right, because you've asked me to, I will go, and I'll clean the toilet. So I went and I cleaned it. I thought that was it. And then the next day, the Lord said, you know, I, I want you to get the toilet ready. If you trust me, I want you to get it ready. I want you to fix it up. Okay, so I said, uh, I'm going to paint the bathroom. Really? Yeah, knock yourself out. So I painted the bathroom. Then I got a new sink. We had this old sink. I got a pedestal sink. I put in a decorative mirror. I put in a little thing for the knickknacks. One of my salespeople said, you know, I do treatments on top of paint. Why don't you let me do another treatments in there? I'm like, great. Well, all of a sudden, our, our bathroom is beautiful. Where it had been the ne most neglected part of our store. Now, it, it was drop dead gorgeous. Toilet did not work at all. <laughs> nope. Nothing was happening there. So, about the time that it gets completely done, a gentleman walked in our store. And now you have to understand, we'll, we'll call him Bill. I had had a lot of resentment and unforgiveness towards Bill. And Bill came in the store. Now the Lord worked with me on that. And I had forgiven him. And I thought I had worked through all of that. But when I saw him come into the store, I could feel all those feelings rise up inside of me. So I made a decision, I'm going to hide back here in my office, and I am not coming out. I am not talking to him. And the Lord said, Dean, go and talk to Bill. Okay. So I went out, and I started a conversation with him. And about halfway through that conversation, 
you know, all of that resentment, all of that unforgiveness just left. And, and I looked at him with new eyes and I'm like, you know, he was really just doing what he felt was right. And, and you know, he's really a great guy. He's a believer. I shouldn't have had those, those feelings toward him. And, and then, you know, it was like almost feelings of, of love. And then out of the blue, I didn't think about this. I didn't plan it. It was just like the words came out of my mouth. I said, hey, Bill, I said, you work with construction people and engineering people and projects and all. I said, what would you do if you had a septic tank system that doesn't work? And Bill looked at me and he tilted his head and he said, Dean, it is so weird that you would ask me that. I said, why? He said, well, you know my brother. He moved down to Georgia. He had this same problem at his home. It was terrible. And he came to me, and I researched it, and I was able to devise a system for him. And he's never had a moment's problem since. Really? He said, yeah. He goes, in fact, I have the plans at home. I'll fax them to you. I said, that's great. And he said, well, you're in Berkeley County, right? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, well, I know the guys in Berkeley County. I've done the projects. He goes, I'll send the plans to them with your contact information. Wonderful. Berkeley County calls me and says, Dean, we got the plans. I'm like, yeah. They go, you can absolutely do that. We've made a little tweak that's actually going to be better for you. And by the way, we went ahead and ran them through DHEC for you, and they're approved. So all you need to do is get a septic company. What septic company do you use? And I gave him the name. He goes, they're perfect. That's who I was going to recommend. Take what I'm sending to you, give it to them for a quote. So now we're still at that northwards of a half a million dollars. How much is this going to cost? The quote came back. It was somewhere between $2,500 and $3,500. They came in. They scheduled it right away and did it in a day. And we have never had a moment's trouble with our septic tank system. In fact, we have two bathrooms now. <laughs> Amen. And you know, in, in that moment, in that moment when I realized what God had done through somebody that I had held resentment and unforgiveness for, the intricacy of God, my only response was, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Pray with me this morning. Father, I, I know that you are good. Lord, I know that you are powerful, that you are almighty, that you are all-knowing. I know that you are love. And I know that you hear and answer prayers. That is the truth of, of who you are, Lord. But I do confess at times that I've not understood, that I've entertained doubts, and that like Thomas, I've wanted proof. Lord, the world we live in and the circumstances of this life are often hurtful or unfair or sometimes tragic. Help us to encounter you in each of these circumstances. Help us to encounter you this morning, Jesus. Help us to encounter you, our risen Lord, 
with all that this life throws at us. In Jesus' name, amen.